Hello and welcome to our premier podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Rettiner and I'm your host broadcasting right here in the Hamptons. I've lived here for over half a century. I've written 12 books about this glorious place and I have seen it grow through the years from small fishing villages and New England towns to what it is today, a summer paradise for New Yorkers, celebrities and movie stars and writers and musicians. And in my podcast, I will bring you interviews with the Hamptons' powerful people, but also introduce you to residents who contributed to our growth through the years you may not have heard about at all. As you know, when the pandemic hit, many families came out from the city earlier than usual or new families came to buy and rent. The real estate market has boomed. And so I would like to welcome our first guest to our show. She's a Hamptons expert and resident as current CEO of Douglas Elliman Real Estate and currently the most successful woman in the real estate field. She's an American success story. We will hear about her personal journey as Dottie Herman got to where she is today as she climbed many hurdles and hit many roadblocks. Her, her story will inspire you and I'm not gonna give it all away in her introduction. Since purchasing Douglas Elliman in the 1990s, Elliman became the largest and fastest growing real estate residential brokerage in New York and third largest in the United States. Forbes calls her the richest self-made woman in real estate, and that's nationally. Dottie has her own podcast on Saturday mornings at AM 970 on the radio, and I'm honored to have her here on the podcast. Dottie, we want to hear all about your journey and your life and how you got to where you are today. But first, what's on everyone's mind? Can you predict the real estate market? <laughs> Can anybody and is the Hamptons booming as a result? Oh, I think every paper is written about it. Um, I along have been here since March. Um, the Hamptons market is, I would say, booming plus. I've been doing real estate for 30 years and I've been in the Hamptons for 20 of those 30 years and I've never quite seen it this busy ever. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a, 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 as Dan said at the beginning, we had an early season. Usually the season starts in a Memorial Day, but this time people came in March. So uh, scattering for properties all over and uh, people came in March and they stayed. And um, at least in some of the Hamptons, I'm in Southampton, they are keeping the season open till the end of October because uh, the New York residents want to stay. So a lot of the stores and the merchants uh, and restaurants are staying open until the end of October, which I think is great. Well, uh, let me talk to you first about uh, when you were younger and uh, was living, were living in your parents' house. You were born in Brooklyn. You were living in Syosset. And... Um, what what do you think was a turning point for you in terms of when you got interested in, uh, I guess, not only real estate in general, but the question would be to decide to step out into the world and, and uh, do things at that time, which was in a man's world and make a success? You know, Dan, a lot of people try to ask me that question. I don't know 
how many people who are listening know this, but my, my mom died in a tragic car accident that we were all in uh, when I was 10 years old. And my dad was severely injured. So I was the oldest of three children. So I basically had to raise myself and make all my own decisions. And I was, I'll never forget because I was in this accident when I woke up there was, I was in a hospital and there was a priest and he said to me, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but your mom is dead. And um, I, I cried hysterically and he gave me an angel, a music box that was an angel. And he said to me, I will never forget it. He said to me, but your mom is an angel now and she's always going to watch over you. And I believe she has. So um, in saying that, I was determined to, um, I always felt that she could see me and I was determined to really be successful. And I started working for Merrill Lynch at the time. After college, I was a single mom. And I, uh, they were just, Merrill Lynch was just starting a, a real estate division um, across the country. And um, a lot of the people at Merrill Lynch have in, go back in the 80s and 90s. They were big in the stock brokerage business. So the newer people were the ones that they picked to go. So I ended up working for Merrill Lynch. I worked in the Northeast region. And um, I learned a lot. And I learned real estate globally. Well, at that time, Dan, you know that it was very small brokerages. There was no national companies or big companies. It was all MAPAs and they lived in the communities. So I had a wonderful career with Merrill Lynch. I was crying when I heard they were selling it. They sold it to Prudential. Prudential did not want to have a national company. They thought that businesses were very local and real estate was local, so they were going to franchise. And therefore, my job would be over as soon as they found the buyer for Long Island. And uh, at 29, I think I was about 29 at the time, um, someone said, I said, oh, I'm so upset. I love this business. I love this company. Um, someone said, why don't you buy it? And I said, because I have no money. And they <laughs> said, so what? Just tell them you do. And I guess the beauty of being young <laughs> is that, like, that sounds like a good idea. So I wrote Prudential a letter. I said I had venture capital people, um, which I didn't. But I said that I did, and I want to be considered to buy the, at the time, there were 28 offices and maybe 1,600 salespeople on Long Island in Queens. And with that, to make a long story short, um, when they... I tried banks. I tried everyone. They hung up in my face. And they said we wouldn't even sell you an office. But somehow, I eventually convinced Prudential to lend me the money to buy the 28 offices on Long Island. At the time, they didn't have Hampton offices. And um, lend me, I believe they lent me about $9 million for the company and about $2.3 million in working capital. Uh, again, no money in the bank. It seems like a miracle. And I became an entrepreneur the, the next day. And a year or two after that, I opened up in the Hamptons. And at that time, it, the Hamptons was very small brokers. It was Alan Schneider. It was just small brokers. And um, I was greeted with a wonderful greeting that said, don't take this personally, Dottie, but nobody 
who, who doesn't come in on the Mayflower is going to make it in real estate. You're not going to make it in business here. And I said, well, I'll be a lady and say, watch and see. And so be it. I hired all brand new people because they didn't give me listings or anything. And I met Dan and Dan was going to write a story about me and I went and I'll never forget this Dan I don't know if you remember but so I had to write write this whole thing to give to Dan and Dan said Dottie don't and I didn't know Dan yet then he said trust me let me write the story about you and I trusted him and he did let me uh, let me interrupt there. I wanted to ask you. Thank you for that. That's lovely to hear it again. And uh, at the time, I was very uh, interested in not only whether you were doing. I didn't know anything about the fact that you were doing this uh, without any any funds at all. I just thought, right. Well, what a strange thing! An insurance company name on on a real estate firm. And and, uh, I, and I didn't know how, how it would fly in the Hamptons. And I guess also I wanted to know how it was you how it was that you came out about to choose to start out in the Hamptons. Why was that? Why not Syosset, for example? Well, I was already in, and I was already on Long Island. I had at the time twenty six offices on Long Island, and. Um, I actually got a call from somebody in the Hamptons, actually in East Hampton. And they said to me, you know, we're with Prudential and we are in the, we're in the, um, they were in the brokerage part of it. And they said, they should, you should have a real estate here. And I said, but I don't know anybody out there yet. And they said, well, you know me. And I, you know, I was very daring. I just then picked up and I opened up. Uh, my first office in East Hampton, uh, next to the Prudential brokerages. So we kind of looked like one. And um, that was in East Hampton. And then I was looking for, I said, I, I right away immediately knew that I had to have more than one office. And I saw an ad in the paper and it said, selling my business. And I will not. And I, and I love this man also. And I called up the number and I got a man who said to me, his name was Ernest Shade. And he said to me, I just lost my wife and I cannot go on in business anymore. I feel like I just lost everything. And I listened to him for about two hours talking about his wife. And I understood that because my dad lost his wife. And after about two hours, we had not talked business whatsoever. He said, you know, thank you so much for listening to me. I want you to have my office. And he gave me his Sag Harbor office. <laughs> and he said, I'll stay on and help you out. And he didn't charge me a dollar. And I, um, he told me there was one problem. The only problem I had to worry about, he said there were ghosts. And I said, well, are they good ghosts? Are they friends of yours? And he said, yes. I said, well, then they'll be friends of mine. And that's how I got my second office. And then um, from was, there... Who- who was that? Ernest Shade. Oh. And uh, and then I opened in, in, in Southampton and uh, West Hampton. And then I, I went right through the Hamptons. And I, I was the first person, like, there was no city companies in the Hamptons then. 
And I was very fortunate to be out there. I met all these people from the city. And I thought, oh, there's nobody that has an office that goes from New York City to, to Montauk, like from Manhattan to Montauk. So I thought, well, Robert Moses built bridges and he connected the city to Long Island. I'm going to have a real estate that connects Manhattan to Montauk. And after that, that's when I, you know, later on went and purchased uh, Douglas Elliman. And, but I did it backwards. Everybody else came into the Hamptons after they had city offices. I started in the Hamptons before I was in the city. I was just on Long Island. And Dan was an inspiration to me, a role model. And uh, he wrote, he made that story personal. Uh, and um, I, I, you know, I went from being boycotted and nobody would co-broke listings to building well, a force here. So I love it. I love what, the Hamptons. What, I uh, after I, there's one of the strange things that happened with you that I saw you do after a number of years with Prudential uh, which you t you had told me you had <clears throat> taken on as a, a franchise name was you faded that out. You took over Douglas Elliman, and uh, which was a l much smaller. Not you know it was still a large firm, in but not the way yeah, not and, what it is today. <laughs> no, but there was a very interesting marketing thing you had to do. You had to you had to uh, let people know it was still you. But and that the Prudential name it was like Prudential L, Douglas Elliman and then it would be Douglas Elliman and Prudential, and then yeah. Douglas Elliman and I, I I marveled at how 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 you did that because it just seemed I thought how is Douglas Elliman going to take over the name from Prudential but at at this stage now. You, you don't even know, remember that there was this potential. And I thought at the time that you may have had the franchise, this could be a different story. And you would tell me if it is, it seemed like uh, maybe she had a term limit on how long she could use the name Prudential because that was such a you know big name in insurance. So what happened? No, what happened was I worked for Merrill when they sold to Prudential. Um, and when I wanted to um, buy in the city, then I had to pay Prudential. Uh, you know, I bought from Prudential because they wanted a franchise. So I bought the Long Island franchise and they financed it a hundred percent. But part of their agreement with me was for them to finance it. I had to keep the Prudential name in which I did. So everyone knew me in the Hamptons as Prudential Long Island Realty, which People would say, oh, Dottie, your sign's great, but this is not Long Island. This is the Hamptons. And then, um, so that all happened. And then when I went to the city and I purchased Douglas Elliman uh, the year after 9-11, we were on orange alert, we were on red alert. And if you remember correctly, we were expecting a second terrorist attack. And I said to uh, Prudential, listen, all the customers that are out in the Hamptons are from the city. I want to purchase a company in the city. And that's kind of when I, when Howard Lorber and I became partners. And then I went back to Prudential and I borrowed $75 million, no money down again, from them a year after 9-11. And uh, I then got Douglas Elliman. So now I had 
Douglas Elliman, that name, and I could cert not certainly put the Prudential name on them. They would have all quit. And then I had Prudential. So then I kind of over the next couple of years, you know, I'm very hands-on. I got to know everybody. And um, eventually we were just Douglas Elliman. Uh, Prudential ended up leaving the real estate business anyway. Um, but they were very good to me. They lent me so much money and I really didn't have any money. And when I tell people the story, sometimes Dan, even when I talk about it, I sometimes can't believe it's actually real and it is real. And so I try to share with, especially young people, the worst that can happen is someone says, no, you should always try. Um, and some things that seem impossible which at the time seemed impossible, you know, they did it for me and they lent me the money to buy Douglas Elliman. And then eventually Prudential uh, left the real estate business and then we became Douglas Elliman completely. Well, uh, I think there is a, uh, you're a role model, as you said earlier, for young people because who can go, how did you do that? You have no money and you go off to buy something with the money that, uh, I, w I was remembering a guy named John Halpern, who was in the real estate business as a builder, uh, lived in Bridgehampton, as I recall. And he told me he had built this 40 or 50 story building in Manhattan. And the way he did it was that was like going to be a uh, hundred million dollars to put this building up. And he didn't have any money, but he said he told the bank that he wanted to borrow uh, 90, 90 million. And they, they said, well, you just, uh, what are you going to do? So he went to another bank after he got, they got the building under construction and he, he got lent the, the, the rest of the money saying that it went over and we have to get more money. <laughs> he basically built a huge skyscraper without, without any money at all, which uh, he was very proud to tell me about. And it, it, kind, of, it, it kind of makes me want to ask this question is, um, how did you do it? Well, how do you persuade people that that uh, they can trust you and um, with this, this kind of money from having other than lying, which I guess John had done. And I think sounded like you had you sort of did. I didn't lie. I couldn't lie. I mean, Prudential certainly was going to check. So they checked and they knew I had no money. Um, I really believe, I mean, I, if we had hours, I could get into it. And, and But I really believe, and I share this with people, that I wasn't afraid to fail. That's number one. And I think that most people are afraid of failing. So they don't do something. Um, everyone told me that it would never happen and that I could never do it. And, you know, I wasn't afraid of failing. And I then really was passionate about building this bridge from Manhattan to Montauk. And I was that passionate about it that I absolutely convinced them when truth, you know, and I'll remember that when I was buying Douglas Elliman, which was right after 2001, when we had the, um, when the whole World Trade Center, we had 9-11, we were on orange alert, red alert when we were buying when we were negotiating and the banker said to me, Dottie, am I crazy to lend you this money? Look what's going on. And I said, Andrew, if they hit New York again, it's over. 
and I'm going to have signs and arrows that say Hamptons that way. Let's just do it. And at the time, uh, uh, Andrew Farkas was running uh, Douglas Elliman. It was a public company. And he said to me, if you come up with the money, I won't make it a bidding war. Because I went to him and I said, listen, I am right for your company. Let me buy it. It wasn't even for sale. I said, and, to, and you know what? I'm very persistent when I want something and I'm not afraid to fail. And I think that anybody who's successful in no matter what industry they're in has failed a million times. They just don't get stuck there. They, they, you know, they cry for a while, they feel bad, then they pick themselves up and they get back in the game again. And I, I really believe that was part of it. And I was passionate. I wasn't afraid to work. And, um, you know, even when I first came out to the Hamptons, Daniel, remember, the brokers would say, if you list with her, she's a newcomer, we're not even going to show your house. And, you know, I just kept on, I went to all the meetings. I got very involved in the community. Uh, I, 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 have, I knew every salesperson. I got to know them very personally. And we were a team. And together we all did it. I can't, I, I think that to build a great company, it's not about you. It's also about the people around you. And so I'm very much a builder of teams and working together. And um, I have to tell you, Dan, though, I just have to say this about you. I've been around a long enough time. I've seen a million papers come and go. And um, I think Dan is an icon. I think... You have been a role model. You've been a mentor. And actually, Dan, if you recall, you believed in me when I first started and nobody else thought I was going to make it. But you believed me from the day you met me. And I will never forget that. I, I did. I, I, uh, I fell for you and how you presented yourself. And I thought this, this is going to work out. I just know it. And it's a daring thing she's doing. And, and, uh, and that's what I what I did. Well, um, but but this interview is more about you than it's about me, although I am so flattered and happy that it worked out the way it did. And well, thank you. Was, I wanted to ask you if you can remember some, some scale that went through, I don't, that, that you just think was so, enter, it would be a story you could tell us that was so entertaining, people would like to hear it about how something came together to become a big real estate deal. Can you think of one? Oh, I can tell you a million stories, but I know when I came out, since we're talking about the Hamptons, when I came out here, you know, the boy, you know, we didn't have an MLS here or anything. So the brokers uh, did not give me any listings. So um, with no listings, there was no way I could ask salespeople to come and work for me and say, by the way, I'm new. And we have no co-brokerages. Nobody's giving me listings. We can't show anything from anybody else. So um, I, I, I hired new people. I remember going to the schools, the real estate schools, and said, if anybody needs a job in the Hamptons, and if people would call me, I'd say, you're hired. And they'd say, but you didn't even interview me. I said, if you tell anybody, I'll just say you're lying. And I trained everybody myself. And then my Long Island offices used to come out. On Thursdays when we do open houses, so I looked like I had a lot of people. And I, um, truthfully, I'll never forget, there was, Cook and Pony was in business then. They had not sold it yet. 
And there was, um, they all the people saw what I was doing, the other salespeople, and they couldn't come to me because I didn't have listings, but they fell for me. So they said, oh, by the way, Dottie, there's a guy's name, and they told me his name. I won't say it on, on, on the podcast. They said, Cook and Pony is firing him, but he's away and doesn't know it yet. I said, give me his number. So I left him a message. I don't know if you're home or not yet, but as soon as you'll be home, you're being fired, but you're welcome to come here. Okay. I mean, and that's actually what I did it. And then I remember, you know, Daniel, remember when Paul Brennan and his group sold to Sotheby's? Um, yes. When they sold, um, they all kind of, you know, and they kind of let Paul go. And he and somebody told me about him, and he was really a big player in the Hamptons. And I got on the phone, and I called him up, and I said, listen, I really, really need you. Okay, I know I'm not big yet, but I really, really need you. And, um, hey, listen, he's been with me ever since, and he was one of the best salespeople that was around. So I think, um, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, I, I do know a lot about real estate, but I really care about the people. And I got very involved within the Hamptons. I didn't just put a business here and never contribute. I remember going to town hall meetings in South Southampton and East Hampton and Sag Harbor. And I remember in East Hampton, Dan, when I would be there, they'd say, well, where do you live? And I said, well, I live in Southampton. They go, Southampton? They said, well... We don't like that. You have a 7-Eleven there and you have a car wash. And, you know, there was a lot of competition in the towns. And I, I built culture. And I, I then integrated the culture of Long Island with the Hamptons. And then when we did the city, the same. And um, I was very lucky to, I've worked hard. I, I can't say that I don't deserve everything that I did. But I also feel it was about people. And really getting to know people and having relationships with people. And I think when people like you and you really give a damn and they feel it, they want you to win. And they will help you to do that. And I, I certainly had a lot of great mentors. And my company and the people in my company really helped me. I remember I had no money. Dan's right. So I put a recruiting ad in the paper and I say to the salespeople, hey, listen, answer the phones for me. Um, and if you if anyone sounds good, just keep their name and number and I'll call them back. So if you go to any of the agents that have been with me since I started the Hamptons, they will tell you they helped me build it. Well, um, I, was, I was asking you about an interesting story. And instead, I will tell you about one that was told to me by Paul Brennan. Your, <laughs> uh, it's about uh, Shulman. What, what was his first name? Um, Oh, oh! You mean the um, uh, uh, the coffee? Uh, uh, yes, I know who you're talking about. And he 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 had gone. To, uh, the, Paul was telling me about him that uh, he wanted to. Uh, he had gotten. He wanted to join the Maidstone Club, and they told him that uh, he wasn't of the right religious persuasion to get in. And so he said, "I want to. I want to." play a golf course and I guess I'm just going to have to uh, buy one or buy a farm and put one on it. And Paul took him out and took him up on Scuttlehole Road uh, to have a look at this uh, farm field that was big enough. I think it was, you know, it's 30 acres up there. And, and um, 
Paul told me, he said, we, we got there and um, he said, I, I, I think I could tell you this. He wouldn't mind. He said, I knew I would made the sale to him when he went behind the bush in the property and took a leap. Took a leap. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, speaking of people, you know, who also helped me. I didn't know who anybody was when I came out to the Hamptons. Um, I had only come out here, you know, just for, you know, weekends or, you know, groups of friends that lived here. And my first office, the owner of the office was a guy named Ben Kapinski, who unfortunately had died in uh, a plane, plane crash. But at the time, I had no idea how big he was. I had no idea that he was a big builder, that he had golf courses, that he was a mega guy, because he would be always in overalls. And, and I would went to him, and I'm like, I really need to rent this place. I don't have a lot of money. If you really would help me. He did. And I still had no idea who he was. And one day he said to me, listen, I have, my mother has a real estate on Main Street. And she's like, it's time for her to retire. Why don't you go over there and don't tell her you know me. Just say that you want to give her a job. And at the time, it was Prudential. So I go there and I say, you know, I'm Dottie Herman. I just opened the real estate office in East Hampton. And I'd love to, for you to leave your real estate office that you own and merge with me. And she looked at me and she said, you can tell my son, Ben, they're going to stuff me. I will die in this office. They will have to stuff me here. And she knew right away that it was him okay, that sent me there. Um, you know, and then I would have signs put up and the police would take the signs and put them to take them down and bring them. And then I would pick them up. Um, it was just, you know, it was just a lot of different things. I was just persistent. I didn't give up. And um, well, and then I bought Douglas Ellum in the city because all of the clients that I met here, because I think, as you think, as you said, Dan, you've been here for so long. But when people come out here, they're on a different mode than they were in the city. Like, I don't believe that if I would have ever met them in the city, they would have had the time to talk to me and meet me. But people, when they come to the Hamptons, they're on the city mode. Then they come to the Hamptons, they're on Hamptons mode, which they have a little more time. They're a lot easier to talk to. Um, and I, and, and, and from the Hamptons, and they did a story in New York Magazine on me. It was called The Broker from Another Planet because I couldn't get into the Maidstone. Um, and the brokers made sure to tell me. And uh, New York Magazine did a story, The Broker from Another Planet. And um, I was, but I think I earned my keep and I earned my way here and I earned the respect of everyone. And I think that that's really what I tell people. Titles mean nothing. You need to earn their respect. And I, I think that's the thing that I, 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 I practice and I try to pass on to anybody that I mentor. When you think about the real estate business, particularly now in the Hamptons, everyone is so focused and uh, competitive. Yes. But you're you're in a you're in a, like a uh, hundred yards ahead of everybody. Is there is there some secret sauce that you know that maybe you don't want to share? That no, I don't have any secret sauce on me. And when I was in the and when I went to the city, you know, um, they would say to me, "Daddy." You know, you have to wear the pearls like Elizabeth Stribling and you have to do this like Barbara Corcoran. And as I respect those women, I said, no, 
because then I'll be second to them. And I'm not going to be second to anybody. I'm going to be me. And so I'm very real. I'm very authentic. I don't have a whole lot of secrets. Um, and I think that's what people like. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I think, and I have guts. And, I, and as I said, Dan, you've seen it. Like, you know, you really have to be able to just have a vision. Yep. And, and, and be passionate. If you're not passionate about it, I don't think it can work. Um, and, I, and I think you've got to stick with it. And, um, and earn that. I think that success doesn't just happen unless you win the lottery. I think you earn that. And that's what I try to do. And that's what I still try to do. Um, and well, I think it's very competitive. But the business has always been competitive. But I think years ago, I, I, I feel that everybody, even, even though you were competition, kind of everybody was kind of worked together. Um, and we still try to do that. But it's very competitive because the real estate business became huge, especially now. Yeah, it sure is. Well, I just, uh, in doing a little bit of research on, on you before this podcast, I came upon uh, a, uh, a, a, a big sale that you were involved with, which was uh, selling your stock in Douglas Elliman for what it says is $40 million. Yes. And, uh, now you can, if you wanted to, and you don't want to, but if you wanted to, you could do almost anything uh, that you that you like. That was probably one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make. And um, I had gotten sick. I had a, a, a routine hernia operation, which is no big deal. And probably if you go back about five or six years ago, whenever that happened, five years ago, um, I three or four days later, I couldn't breathe. I was on oxygen. And there was an outbreak of Legionnaire's disease in oh. which... Um, they said that the outbreak was in the Lenox Hills and I was in the hospital. Not that I can prove that that's where I got it, but I got really very sick and I really couldn't even walk a block. So that's kind of when I made that decision, which my heart was always there. Um, my heart was always there and I wouldn't have made that decision. I don't think if I was not so sick, I'm better now. And now I look forward to Look, I'll always be known in real estate and I'll always be on top of the real estate market. But I really want to be able to um, give back, be a mentor. I built a business. And even though everyone thinks of me as real estate, I took a company from 26 offices to about 240 offices. And cool. then I believe in culture and mesh cultures. So I really like to really help people tweak their businesses. Um, I... I see what's going on with so many businesses that are struggling now because of the pandemic. And um, I hopefully can help them tweak it for what I think the new normal will be, um, you know, because things aren't coming back quite the same. A lot of trends have changed. Uh, but I really, really, and this is, doesn't, I don't want to sound like Pollyanna because I'm not, but it really gives me great pleasure that I had some great mentors and that I hope that I can, give back. And that's what I'm trying to do. I have a lot of social media. I do a, a radio show. It's 12 years now, which is called I Own Real Estate, which is all about real estate. And I am going to do an, a, a new show on ABC radio with uh, that John Casmatidis just brought, which is really just going to be at, about lifestyles and just things that go on besides my other show. I, and 
you know, I love doing podcasts and I love talking to you because I, I know this is not about you and I'm not trying to flatter you or buddy you up, but I have to tell you, I kind of looked at you as, you know, you made my book of somebody who is very instrumental and I respect tremendously and Dan's paper, you built an icon. Thanks. And so in some ways, you know, <laughs> in some ways, I, I can't explain it. You probably done it. You did it the same way through a lot of hard work and respect and staying power. I think that's very true. And in, in that sense, we're like siblings in this. And you mentored me. You mentioned me a lot. I do. So I just want, and I have to say that I'm, I'm so thrilled to have, see you doing the podcast now. You know, we all have to get with this century. They're so in. And um, I hope to get mine rolling. But I'm going to do a book, Dan. As soon as I find the right uh, person to write it for me, I'm, I think that's my next thing. I want to do a book. Thank you for the time you've taken to uh, do this podcast with me, Dottie. I really appreciate it. And uh, so thank you, Dan, for being a friend, an icon, and a great mentor. And thank you for having me. It was my honor to be on your first podcast. Bye.